Hey, Joe. Hey, Robert. How are you? I'm doing very well. <laughs> Considering. You wanna, yeah, you want to <laughs> tell everyone what just happened? Well, you know, so folks, technology sucks. Let's just start there. We were in the middle of a wonderful conversation, recording our beautiful, lovely little podcast here. And in the middle of it, my computer decided to go disk error and stop working sort of full stop. I mean, it wasn't like it sort of elegantly went, no, I don't think I'm going to do this anymore. It just went, no, no, it's over. It's over, pal. So and, and yeah, so we had to sort of start this whole thing again. Remind me, is this is this two nineteen? <laughs> remind me, is this is this number two nineteen? <laughs> this is number two. This is number two nineteen. Yeah, yeah. That was the best opening I'd ever done. Yeah, and we'll I'm never sure know. We'll never have record of I, it. I'm just I, that is correct. Well, we actually do have some record of it, but it'll go into the archives when the uh, National Archives call and what all of our recordings. It'll be there. You know where it's going to go? It's going to it's going to go in the trash with our professional football teams. <laughs> That's <laughs> yes, exactly. It's going to go in the trash with our professional football teams and oh and that wait wait I think I hear something that 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 giant clicking sound. That's all the Europeans going. Nope. <laughs> we're fast forwarding 45 seconds. Exactly. We're, <laughs> yes we're folks. Not. Our teams which were supposed to be good this year, our Dallas Cowboys and the Cleveland Browns for those of you who may not know. Um they were supposed to be really good this year, and both of them have been stinking up the yeah. field. I think Baker Mayfield has already has the NFL record for interceptions that hit off of the, your own player that go go to another player. So it got to be like a deflection interception. Oh, no. that, yeah. yeah, it's got to be. He's, yeah, it's like be 10. He's already got, it's got to be number two. Yeah, he, It's unbelievable how uh, – and then, of course, we lead the league in, in penalties and dumb mistakes and – you know, nah, I think we're right there with you on the dumb penalties and mistakes and whatnot. Yeah, I, I, uh, what if the two teams played each other? I think that it would be Armageddon. <laughs> there, would, there would be weird things that happen. This was that not is, meant to be, God said. That is for sure. <laughs> All right. Should we stop talking about football and get on with Please, our show? Let's do this. All right. Let's roll. Listening pleasure. Here's Polizzi and Rose, PNR with this old marketing. Take it away, boys. Hello, my friends. This is Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 219 of PNR's This Old Marketing, recorded Thursday, October 17th, 2019. And with me, as always, I think the only guy left in the world who hasn't submitted a Brexit plan, Mr. Joe Polizzi. Uh, I'm <laughs> working you, on my friend. I'm working on the plan <laughs> as are. we speak. Uh, oh, well, that's good. I, th- I think I get over to Boris. I think I'm just as qualified as anyone else working on it. I, mean, I think you're probably more qualified, quite frankly, than people who are working on I'd it. I'd like to give it a shot. Yeah, You know what? Um, I, as you were doing your opening. What would you propose? What would you propose? Something. <laughs> Something in audio needs to know. Something in audio would be perfect. <laughs> so there's no real record of it. So I'm. I see. Yeah. I see. You would call. You would. You would make a phone call. You know. You know what I don't understand. And this is what I was thinking of while you were doing the opening. I always yeah. want to do. You know, when we do our little banner back and forth now. I sure. always want to just keep talking. I don't. And you always are. You're the one that that is professional, and you're the adult. 
the grown up, and you're always like, okay, we got to get started now. Did have you gotten that feeling? Like I always just want to no. ramble on. You don't, no, no, I have not gotten that feeling. But I, if it makes you feel better on two twenty, why don't we have you play the adult? And I'll just ramble on. That's impossible. Because <laughs> I never ramble. That's, I never ramble. I can't play the adult. I mean, I've really perfected not being a grown up for a lot of years. I'm getting <laughs> that really I can good contest at it. To. Yeah, that. Yeah. Plus, that you I, are. I mean, you I are the elder statesman up. of the two of us. I, I ah, don't. You know, see, it went there. I don't want to. It got there. Don't want to state the obvious. <laughs> it went there. <laughs> it went there. Yes. 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 I am the old one in the room. Exactly. You know, I. Where are my shoes? I know we're going to talk about this in a little bit, but I felt everything. Everything had a legal bend to it. We there was a lot of a lot of coverage where where government entities are getting involved in in content stuff, and it just it just doesn't feel right. I don't know. It uh, well, it fit. I mean, it just feels like. I mean, this is kind of the theme of the show for sure. But it just feels like right now, you know, there's just a lot of stuff going on in the world right now, and it's you know, uh, you know, there. I can't, I can't remember what movie it's from. It's like you don't mess with a man's livelihood, you know, and it's it's, it's messing with my livelihood. And it's uh, it's starting to piss me off, right? Yeah, so, we probably. Yeah, well, we don't no, want to give it away. It's going to be some great conversation. Yeah. So all of the so all the people that usually drop off at the five minute mark now they have to stay because we're That's teasing right. them. That's right. With some really good information <laughs> yet to come. <laughs> that is correct. That is correct. Well, shall we get to Let's it then? Yeah. Shall I play the adult in the room and and actually See, bring us? You to did the it first again. Item. You did it again. You don't even think you do it's it, but job. you do. You're always bringing us back to reality. I'm what do you got? trying to just do my job. Well, all right, we're going to start our uh, show with, the, of course, the top of the show segment, which is one story from the news that really gets to the theme of our show and tease up the rest of the things that we're going to talk about later on. And yes, of course, now if you've, as speaking of sports here, and this has made world news, quite frankly, but the link that we'll put in is to the NewYorkTimes.com. And it is Hong Kong protests put the NBA on edge in China. Or China, as it's said by some some people, um, and this might not sound like a marketing story at the beginning, but I think it really is. Uh, I think it has a lot to do with brand, and I think it has a lot to do with content, and I think it's something that we wanted to talk about certainly, and certainly it is front and center <clears throat> in almost every newspaper in the world right now. And so it starts out by saying, if you missed it, a tweet. From Houston Rockets, uh, that's a basketball NBA team here in the U.S., general manager prompted a backlash in China, making things uncomfortable for a league used to its players and representatives speaking out on politics. The NBA superstar LeBron James has routinely insulted President Trump, but basically then came out with a tweet that was Eh, for whatever he was saying was basically none of our business. And basically what they're all talking about here is, of course, what's going on in Hong Kong right now with the protests, the shootings, and what's happening um, in uh, in Hong Kong, which has angered uh, the Chinese. And so what do you say? What do you think, Joe? I mean, I, I you know, to me, I think there are a couple of things that are going on here. But I, I think the the main thing that it sort of, I, you know, sort of concerns me, I guess, not the least of which, of course, is what is actually going on in Hong Kong. There's a lot of um, uh, protests happening right now for independence and democracy and all sorts of things. And we won't get into that. 
But I think from a branding perspective in the NBA, I think what it says today is, is that they're being a global brand is an interesting challenge in today's world where different countries, different regions, and of course those who are in the audience who deal with this every day with global content and translation and localization realize that dealing with different cultures and different norms and different politics is a way of life. But this is sort of like put a big, you know, stake in the heart of that, right? To say this is sort of where global brands have to deal today. And perhaps you could argue, I and I think I would argue that the NBA wasn't ready for this. They they how could they not be ready for this kind of pushback? But you know, they clearly weren't. Well, you what do you could, think? Oh my goodness. That's what you and I talked beforehand that I was like, did, didn't the NBA know what they were doing with their social media policy when it came to this? And for, by the way, you got to give the NBA a lot of credit because over the past few years since Adam Silver has been running, seemingly they do a good job because the players who most of them have really, really big uh, social followings, they say what they want. As, as the article that I think that uh, we're going to put in the show notes, I read another one on LeBron James, you know, heavily criticizes lots of things in the world, injustices, civil rights, and the NBA is totally fine with that because they say LeBron James is LeBron James and LeBron can say whatever he wants along with every other player. But That's right. this instance is a little weird because here's the general manager of the Houston Rockets says this little thing about Hong Kong and there's a knee jerk reaction and it's the tweet is deleted immediately and all and and NBA is just backpedaling and say oh no 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 everything's okay and of course the Chinese the Chinese government and Chinese entities and Tencent who covers the games they all made decisions not to show the preseason games to stop doing certain things in protest of what the general manager said and how the NBA is handling it long story short is I can't believe they didn't have their act together before this and I think they missed out on an opportunity what what I think should have happened is the general manager says his thing just like anyone else can say, because there's free speech in the world, and at least in the United States, they can say what they want to say. And the NBA should have backed them and says, the, said, the general manager of the Houston Rockets can say what he wants to say. We love doing business in China. You know, I mean, just, you know, we, we have a relate. the NBA has a relationship with the Chinese. This is how we want to do it. Whatever the Houston Rockets uh, GM says, I think that's on the. I don't think the NBA needed to come out and take a stand. I don't know if you believe what, what your take is, but I think they could have handled it that way because they've handled every other situation that way, and it seems to be fine. I think you're right. I think the 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 mistake, to the extent that there was one, was that they actually didn't take a position either way, right? Um, and basically didn't then say the the position they took was to say nobody's allowed to say anything and what that then led into is something you know which i think is even getting more attention now which of course is lebron's tweet which is basically saying it's none of our business and of course the social media world has you know gone on fire with that and basically you know the whole his whole you know an injustice anywhere is or an injustice everywhere is an injustice anywhere and you know and he he's you know to your point he stands up for these things and basically people are calling him now a hypocrite and so what the nba did by not sort of doing exactly what you just said 
was to sort of throw all of the business people, the players, the coaches, everybody that's, you know, associated with the NBA under the bus. Because now they can't do anything. They can't say they can't take a position one way or the other. And to your point, if they wanted to sort of stay at a high level, they could have very simply said exactly what you said. Our players, the coaches can say what they want. This is the United States of America and they can say what they want. We're super happy to do business in China. And quite frankly, it's none of our business, right? And, you know, while the world may not have liked that response, it gives the ability for those people who are mentioning and now getting questions and all of that, the ability to say something. But look, there's no good answers here. There's, you know, this was going to go badly, you know. Yes, it's just exactly. a question of there, how badly. I didn't realize in reading of the article how much business in China there is for the NBA. There are probably oh, it's more, huge. There are more yeah. NBA fans in China than there are in the United States. I think the, there are more NBA fans in China than there are people in the yeah, United States. Yeah, that's that's exactly. I mean, that's exact. But I, I mean, that's so, the. But you know I guess I mean? the other thing is, so I think we we sort of agree on that. But when you look at the culture and the brand that is put out there from the NBA, which has always been proactivism. Do you think that they made a mistake and should have come out consistent with the brand mission and said, uh, yeah, we, we don't like what's going on there. We support the GM. Or do you think that's that they just say, say, that's not yeah. for me to say, I, I don't know. I mean, but I think look, that was it. I, that, I will tell you, for myself, I am clearly on the side of democracy. I, I, you know, I would stand with the protesters here. And so and if that meant that I lose, if if I'm going to lose business because of that, so so be it, right? That's that's you know I'm going to take a stand there. But for me to, I can't proselytize or evangelize or you know sort of take a position for the NBA. That's going to be their thing. So I don't know whether it was, you know, I, uh, I can't say that it was a mistake to not support what it is or take a stand on that on that issue. That's may they may truly earnestly believe that it's none of their business. And I, while I can lament that as a fan, it's not for me to, you know, it's not for me to judge it. I'm not going to, I'm not going to judge that, that decision. What I can judge from a business perspective is their complete lack of preparation for what they should have absolutely seen coming. Well, I'm not a, I'm not a PR expert, but you and I have been in enough PR meetings to know that a professional PR team is proactive and they ask questions that could happen so they can prepare for them. And I know a lot of PR organizations and PR agencies that just, let's just take one industry like the oil industry (laughs) that I know pretty well, that if something happens in the oil industry, there's multiple websites already created for just in case something happens. They've had the conversation. In this case, the NBA, I don't know if they had the conversation about this, which is what amazes me. So I guess if, yeah. if, if anyone listening to this can, you know, how, okay, it's the NBA, it's a big global brand, not all of us work for big global brands, but some of us do, a lot of us do business in, in China, whatever, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter what the issue is, you have to be proactive about these things, especially in the, the days that we live in, especially with everybody being a journalist, everyone having an opinion, especially the polarization that's going on globally right now, I, I, I don't know how you can't be prepared and there's no excuse to be prepared. To, that you're not prepared. So I'm, I'm totally that's in agreement right. with you on this. Yeah, that's right. I mean, that's the real thing here. That's, and that's the reason we're talking about it is not necessarily to talk about the issue itself, but to say, 
in a world that businesses have to deal with this, this is, it's not an, if you're in any way working globally, uh, internationally, this is not an if, it's a when it's going to affect your business. And it may not be as pronounced as it is with the NBA, but it is certainly going to happen, right? And you can be the most innocent. I remember I used to teach um, a social media governance class and we used to talk about this nonprofit, this wonderful, delightful nonprofit that helps um, kids here in California. And they help them, you know, they fund educational programs. So they're sort of a fund of other nonprofits. They're like a venture fund of nonprofits. And they keep all of this, you know, they, they fund all these nonprofits. And they basically started getting comments on their Facebook page one day that says, you hate all African-Americans. And it was, you know, very fiery language. And they had, but they had this social media governance program in place and they basically, they took the conversation offline, they started talking, they had the conversation with the person offline and they talked about it and it was a, it was a big win for them. They were able to sort of manage the process, orchestrate the process. You can't control it, but you can certainly orchestrate it and it really worked. And the only reason it worked, it was, was, was because it was, they were prepared for it. They were, you know, they were, they, they had a plan ready to go if, if that something like that would happen, but it's the weirdest thing. You never expect it to happen with somebody like that. So even if your brand is, you know, a very innocuous thing, it can, it can come up in the weirdest places. The only thing that bothers me, the last thing I wanted to say is, and I've been a big LeBron James fan forever. And, and especially on how he's handled himself in situations like this, he almost always says the right thing, except for when he <clears throat> made the decision and went on ESPN and you know <laughs> shoved his Damn. shoved his foot, Damn. yeah, on the, and, and basically slammed on Cleveland on uh, in front of millions of people. But I digress. <laughs> I, this right. was so off brand for LeBron James. I'm wondering if somebody from NBA said, "You be the spokesman in this case, and please." Could you throw the guy from the Houston Rockets under the bus for us? Because I didn't get it. It just doesn't make sense. It doesn't seem like something LeBron would say. So I, I think he meant to say something else. I think he, you know, because in a in another world, in another kind of issue, he's kind of right, right? You know, in other words, like we don't have all not, the details yet. So right, let's keep or our noses or out quite of. frankly, every problem isn't our problem, right? Was is which is what he was kind of saying, which immediately you could just sort of cringe be, with this particular issue because it's so pronounced, it's so big, and it has everything to do with other things that he stood up for before. So that's why it's so cringeworthy of a comment. But if it were some other thing, some other issue that quite frankly that there you know wasn't a lot of uh a lot of previous history on it, you know you could you could kind of go yeah it's i i get it right it's not every issue is something that we're going to have to take a you know a huge stand on and that's you know again even as i say it it's cringeworthy but i, I it's one of those things where it, in another world I, I i can i can actually see what he was trying to do and he did it just very poorly yeah, I guess that's the the issue is that your employees are represent your brand whether they want to or not. That's right. And you, if since that's the case, you might as well prepare them so that when something yeah. happens, you you have the best possible of outcomes, even though maybe both both are, the the outcomes are not good. That's um, exactly so, right. Anyways. 
All right. right. Shall we move on to the next story here? Yeah, let's do that. Let's move on. So this is there. Take goes to our next segment of the show, which is, of course, our in-depth section where Joe and I pick something that has our attention in the world of marketing or in content. And basically, we, you know, dive a little deeper into it. But uh, the first story here is going to also sort of segue and sort of fit with our theme here of talking about government and legalities and those sorts of things. And it comes to us courtesy of Digiday.com. And the headline here is Even More Headaches, Publishers Brace for Fallout from California's Gig Worker Law. Now, for those of you, uh, again, not in the U.S. or in the U.S. but not in California, this will, I think this is going to, this news is going to be like a little weird. Because, of course, you've probably heard about CCPA, which we'll actually talk about a little bit more in the show. But you probably haven't heard of California's Assembly Bill Number 5. And the article opens up by saying, California's Assembly Bill Number 5 has set the stage for an epic battle about the future of the gig economy. It has also created headaches for California-based media companies, which fear the legislation's restrictions will affect how they use freelance writers based in the state. And by the way, that goes for content marketers as well. Basically, AB5, the Assembly Bill 5, caps the number of articles that a California writer can produce for any publication in one year at 35. That total is less restrictive than the 20 laid out in the original version of the bill, but lower than the 50 that some groups, including the National Writers Union, had hoped for. So basically, what it has now led to is that a lot of media companies are now, and sites are saying, hey, we can't employ California freelancers to write a weekly roundup or a weekly, you know, column because, of course, that would go above the 35 that will be, you know, kosher here. What this has suggested, as the article goes on to say, is that basically this is going to really give incentive for companies to give uh, the, uh, you know, freelance writing gigs to non-California writers. Now, of course, this bill is designed and was built, quite frankly, for Uber and Lyft and those uh, freelancers who are trying to get more rights as independent contractors with big corporations, but it may be sort of maybe drawn with a too broad I'm brush stroke. What do you, I mean, what do you think about this? Oh, Mr. the brush stroke is the size of the Grand Canyon. This yeah. is, <laughs> I, I, I had to read this a couple of times. I wasn't as aware of, it. I'd heard of it, but I didn't go into the details until you, you sent this to me and we've been talking about it. Yeah. I think this is just the most horrible thing. Uh, and I mean, you're talking to an entrepreneur that hired all independent contractors and hired right. all independent contractors that wanted to be independent contractors that got paid very well for their services and were able to work with lots of different companies at the same time. Some people make the decision to do this. And obviously, in the case of Uber and Lyft, some of them are upset. But oh my, I mean, let's just put this in perspective. 35 articles. I know people that do 35 articles in a week. Now, that might not be good. It might not be healthy, but it's true. Yeah. So what? what is a person that lives in California that does 30? I mean, are you joking? Just think about it this way. Let's say that you're a regular columnist for a Mac... Uh, the New Yorker magazine, and you live in California, and you write a weekly column. You can't do that anymore. Sure. Well, or a daily newspaper. I mean, think about that for a oh, minute, my right? Goodness. You know, that writes a daily, you know, on the beat sort of article, or you know, on digital, or they have a daily newsletter that goes out, or they write. You know, I think one of the biggest challenges here is, well, what the heck is an article? 
right? How, exactly. You know what I mean? What, and and what, why, why what, not? What constitutes an article? And why not? All, I mean, it could be a podcast. It could be any piece of creative. Uh, yeah. And, it, and, then, I, it, and it's an article, yeah, 10 words or 1,000 words. You're absolutely right. right. Or 50,000 words, right? If I were ever to sort of suggest maybe gaming this law, um, I might say, well, Mr. Writer, I really, really want one article, but I really need it segmented into five separate chapters. And that one article separated into five chapters, you can deliver it to me in over the course of five weeks as a serial, if that's okay. Oh my, that's I, I mean, brilliant. You are sneaky. <laughs> well, I'm good at gaming systems, that's for sure. But that, I mean, that's what I would do. I mean, that's my immediate reaction as a publisher here. If I if I'm hiring a freelancer, I just say, you know, give me give me 35 chapters and uh, of one article, and you can deliver it to me weekly, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, so I I think it's a silly, silly law. That's the thing. It's just a silly. Well, I mean, if, the, if it's easy, if it's that easy to game, it's it's obviously a silly thing. Exactly. There's something very different between the production of a piece of content and the hours, the linear time that's getting put in by people in freelance gigs who should be and have the rights, of, you know, some of the rights of uh, employees, you know, the ability to unionize and 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 some of those things. So it's a. I, you know, it's a crazy thing, and we'll see. You know, we'll, we'll see what's going to happen with it. Well, and then you can you can see some of what's already happened is the publishers of of media companies in the article that we'll post in the show notes say, well, unfortunately, I mean, about twenty percent or twenty five percent of our writers are in California, and we're just going to have to find other writers, not in California, exactly right? So. What does it do? It just has them has the business move out of the state. I'm I'm assuming that wasn't what, what the bill was designed for. So no, that is not what the bill was designed for, and nor is it designed for the other option for writers, which is of course to incorporate, right? And so you know they can they can get incorporated or, or run their business through an incorporation. You know, there's I mean. There will be a business solution to this problem. Yeah. I guarantee you that. You know, I mean, because it's happened before, right? There are companies now out there that will make you a W two employee, but treat you like a freelancer, and then just give you your paycheck that way. And there's there's all sorts of ways. This is one of those laws that I just think is silly on the face of it because it's it's unenforceable. There are too many ways to get around it. So why why have it in the first place? That's exactly. Yeah, you're right. So so maybe those publishers won't do anything and they'll just say, I mean, another one said, I'll probably just ignore it. And if they, right. if they catch me, they catch me. Uh, as I, I just don't see other States picking this one up. Now, the other one we're going to talk to talk about in a little bit. That's, that's the one, <laughs> that's the one we all need to be concerned about. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well that, so let's move to that. Okay. Let's move, let's move on to there. Um, which is, uh, a, yes, a definitely something that we need to start paying attention to which is a really interesting uh, article, um, mainly because of the lack of noise that I hear about it. Um, the headline here from AdAge is Bracing for Sweeping New Data Privacy Laws, How Brands Are Preparing as the California Consumer Privacy Act Becomes a Reality in 2020. Again, this from AdAge. And the article opens up by saying, Marketers and Publishers, are less than three months away from dealing with a new law that could have the largest impact on digital advertising since the introduction of the iPhone. 
weird analogy, but all right. The California Consumer Privacy Act, or CCPA, takes effect January 1, bringing a host of new regulations to the nation's largest state that will significantly restrict how brands collect and manage the consumer data that has fueled digital advertising for years. For instance, the law is going to require opt-out button on every page of every website, allowing consumers to easily tell companies they don't want any of their data to be collected or sold. Consumers can also tell tech companies, publishers, or brands to delete their data. That's a very similar provision to the GDPR. People may also opt out from a company's terms of service without losing access to its offerings. That's a big one that's not getting talked about a lot. Companies are also barred from selling data on anyone under the age of 16 without explicit consent. Industry players could even face stricter rules as a result of a new proposal that could be headed for the November 2020 ballot. And it goes on to explain the law and all of those kinds of things. Now, interestingly, I, we should call this out. The law here is for big companies. Small businesses are exempt. Doing uh, uh, yeah, more than this. $25 million in revenue. Yeah, Correct. So if you're under $25 million in revenue, you don't have to be concerned with this yet. Yet. Um, uh, yet yeah, is the operative word there. But if you're a larger organization, of course, this is going to apply directly to you. Uh, you know, the the amount of deafening silence on this is is quite frankly, you know, it, it, I don't I don't know any companies right now that are that are freaking out about this. Really? They're, they're, yeah. Why? I, why, why do you, I mean, you deal with more companies directly now. What, what do you what do you why do you think that is? You don't think because when you read an when I read an article like this, this is just the the match getting lit. Uh, and you're walking the match over to the haystack <laughs> as, right. as because of the 20, I don't know what the article said, 20 some other states that have similar laws that are about ready to go into effect. And, and they're in one, one phase or another. I think for the most part, companies don't think this really applies to them. Um, and so I do know companies that are now have prepped and you know, think in large degree that they have complied with GDPR. Most have not, by the way. Um, but they've got the little pop-up that hits, you know, and it's so annoying. You know, I've got all my friends who are not in our business, you know, complaining to me, why have all these pop-ups now coming? There's more annoying now that they, than, than it ever was, yeah. right? With the pop-ups on the GDPR thing, basically saying, hey, we're going to collect cookies on you, okay? Which, by the way, is not GDPR compliant to saying that, right? Um, and... The idea here is, is that I think a lot of basically businesses went to their lawyers and went, fix it, right? Whatever we need to do, fix it. And so lawyers do what lawyers do. And they started writing a bunch of stuff that most of it doesn't really, really, you know, live up to the design of GDPR. And the companies that are really affected by this, namely the publishers um, who have forever been selling this data, um, are the ones that are showing, they're the ones that are sort of watching their business models evaporate from under their feet. Um, the marketers are seeing this as a new challenge of how they're actually going to collect data um, from, you know, landing pages and forms and stuff like that, because their systems, quite frankly, are not set up that if I went to, you know, if I went to some B2B company that I you know, signed up for their event and I went delete all my data, they would have no idea how to do that, right? They would, uh, I'm in their blog, I'm in their website, I'm in their CRM system. They have no clue as to how to do that. For them, it's more of a sort of a, eh, it's a headache that we have to deal with. It's kind of, you know what it reminds me of? It's very much like 
back in the early 2000s, remember when there was the huge sort of uproar over the ADA, the Americans with Disabilities Act, mm-hmm. which basically said every website had to be ADA compliant. That's still a law, by the way. Every website does need to be ADA compliant, but 90% of them aren't, right? They never got compliant. Um, you know, they don't handle readers very well, you know, for uh, for the blind, and they don't handle all of those things very well. And the colorblind and red and green are still used, and all of those things are still out there, but it kind of sort of faded into the background. This, I think, is a little differently given the other sort of elements of the world, you know, Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn and data breaches and, you know, um, Cambridge Analytica and all that stuff that's going on in the world. People are a little more... Uh, a, a little more attuned to it, but I think this there is going to be a panic. I think, um, it, and 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 it will only come, quite frankly, probably middle of next year, when the first one falls. Right, just like GDPR, when the first fines started happening, when it really got real and fines started happening, that was when sort of businesses started taking this seriously, and I think. Until that happens with CCPA, I think this is all going to be a lot of, yeah, yeah, we've got the lawyers looking at it. We'll yeah. see what we're going to do. Well, let's let's just, I mean, who knows where this is going to go, but I, I think if we push out three to five years, we can say that a lot of companies will need to be set up so that when a consumer contacts the company, they can the consumer asks, I would like to know all the data you have on me. Can you please send it to me? And we have to have that in a format that can be sent. Right now, that's, right. that's never going to happen. <laughs> yeah, the, right. the data is everywhere. So from a data management standpoint, this is a huge undertaking where you go into most – and this is, by the way, been going on for a long time where they've been trying to get all the siloed data under one house and have it all talk to each other. Still in most companies, it's all over the place. you got different divisions. It's just nuts. So I think that's what the goal will be with the marketing side. My question to you on the publishing side, does this mean that if you're a publisher and you co- and somebody you know was going to click on the ad and you can't deliver the information of that person to the marketer that that took that ad out, is that kind of where we're getting? I think it is, yes. right? I mean, we're going to start seeing that more and more where publishers are going to start shying away from selling leads. And that's been their bread and butter, right? I mean, we heard directly from some, you know, we talked a little bit about this a couple of shows ago, and we heard directly from some of our friends in the publishing business who said, you're, you're right. We're, we're upending our business model because we have, quite frankly, forever been trying to wrap our heads around this idea of how do we sell data? How do we sell leads? How do we provide ROI to these marketers who are demanding ROI from their advertising spend with us? And this is especially true, by the way, on the B2B side. And then how do we switch over back now, switch the gears to go, hey, you remember all that data stuff we were talking about? No, no, no. It's really about brand. You just need to get in front of our audience and put your stuff in front of there. And it's all about reach and frequency. And you need to look at our brand. And, and we're not going to give you any data. We'll give you some how many views it got, how many clicks it got. But we can't give you data anymore. And that's going to just up, you know, it's going to upend everything. And what it brings up, quite frankly, is a new competitive market that I think you're going to see a story that we won't cover in depth because of time. But one of the things that I covered on my my uh, my weekly rap podcast was this um, new announcement from Best Buy 
they're going to start selling media across their e-commerce channel, right? And so, and Amazon is doing this as well, by the way. Amazon is selling advertising uh, and all of that, but they're using first-party data to drive personalization of ads on their network. And so, therefore, you know, and I'm no lawyer here, but but certainly much more compliant than selling the data to be used on a third-party basis or using... And this is where content marketers have a huge business case. This was my point was uh, on the on the weekly wrap podcast was we can use our owned media properties done right, creating you know subscribers as we have been touting forever in content marketing to create first party data that we can then use to make our own experiences more personalized, et cetera, et cetera. In other words, we can become the media networks that we were using before to scrape that data. That will become a much more popular thing. So if you're trying to find a business case for content marketing, here it is in black and white starkness, right? This is about first-party data and you treating your subscribers, your audiences as delicately, as it were, as customers. Not We have to develop the technology infrastructure for sure to be able to do that, but this is the business case for it because, quite frankly, the third parties are not going to be able to deliver it to you anymore. And and the business case for email and print subscribers more than of ever course. before for them to voluntarily give their data to you. Yep, and first-party experiences, events, all that stuff, right? Becoming the media, you know, as the guy from Yiskabank said so well, you know, when you can't beat the media, you must become the media. And we, you know, this is, I mean, I mean, it, people are probably tired of us hearing from us about this, right? This idea of the strength and the value of a subscribed addressable audience but this is it right this is this is where we start treating our i mean you're going to hear about it firsthand when i start talking about my my rants and raves in a bit but it's when we start treating our subscribers our audiences our leads our opportunities whatever name you want to put on it with the same care and feeding that we do our customers and connecting those experiences so that we can delete their data if they ask us to well, now we're not only in compliance, but we're living up to the spirit of what CCPA and GDPR are all about. And it almost seems like another nail in the coffin for a publishing business model here. A publishing ad-driven business yes, model. Ad, yes, ad, a traditional, yeah. traditional yeah. publishing business model. And that's why, you know, we've been talking for years about, you know, the media marketing model has to have multiple revenue streams and not that's just right. focus on oh advertising and lead gen because that's not going to get you very far anymore and that's right well speaking of such things like advertising <laughs> <laughs> i mean we should probably talk about our sponsor. Goodness it's, gracious, what a wonderful segue that it's, was. It's kind, <laughs> it's kind of fitting, too. Yeah, I'm playing the adult in the room, making sure that we're are. getting to our sponsor. Uh, and, you know. and this is actually coming up really soon. And if uh, if you're listening to oh this... Oh my gosh, yes. Like right around, like day. not soon, like now exactly. it's happening. October yeah. 23rd, 2019, Demand Generation Summit. You have to get on it. If you haven't 
registered, I don't know what your problem is. You need to register for this. It's a free virtual event dedicated to demand gen created for all marketers to help show how their roles can impact demand and increase profitable customer action for their brand. We've uh, Speakers include Corinne Schmidt, Chris Daly, Michael Brown, Mark Bornstein, Carlos Hildago. For more information and to register for one re- webinar, or you could register for the whole day. So if you just want one piece of it or you want the whole thing, good for you. By the way, it's all free, so it doesn't matter. And you go if you can't make it on the 23rd, register anyway. You can get them on demand when they're available. Uh, go to cmi.media slash demand gen 2019. That's cmi.media slash demand gen 2019. Or go to the Content Marketing Institute site and get registered. It's going to be great. Did I miss anything, Robert? You did not. It is going to be a really great little... Uh, I, what I really dig about this is that we've structured it in such a way that you can you can watch all of it, you can watch any individual presentation, um, and then you can get it on demand afterward. It's 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 really cool that way. So it's 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 really atomic in that in in that manner. So if there's like a couple of things you're really interested in, you can do that. Or if you're interested in the whole day, you can do that. Or you can you know if you're not available that day, you can actually you know go back and and watch it again or listen to it again. So. Speaking of uh, of watching things, uh, I have a piece of, of trivia for you. Uh-oh. Name name the show on Netflix that has received more uh, watches or downloads, however you want to describe it, than any other Netflix original show. Oh, that's Stranger Things. That's easy. Which one? Oh, the third season. The most sure. recent season. 60, yeah, absolutely. Sixty four million to date. Right. Well, here's the f- interesting thing about that. Um, 64 million says Netflix says Netflix. There, there's no, yeah. So no one will ever know if that's no one will ever know. They could, it could be oh, six. Right. It could be 600. It, that's right. And by the way, that is something that is confounding Hollywood right now. Because remember Hollywood used to make all these agencies, uh, and agents used to make the deals for their directors and actors and producers based on Nielsen ratings, theater box office scores, and their whole research company set up to measure these things. Netflix doesn't have to tell you jack, right? And so basically when the agents go in to renegotiate somebody's contract, they can't go in saying, hey, listen, man, this, you know, you're getting you know, 50,000 views. You know, you're getting all this. They don't know. And and Netflix could say, nah, you know, and so it's a very interesting time for negotiation of artist contracts right now for Netflix because says Netflix, right? And they won't, yeah, there's no, it's, it's, I mean, growing up in media, there was always some entity that graded that was sure. out there to and media approve. market radio yes. and you had Nielsen and TV. And you had, you had, or you'd have your publisher's yeah. audience reports in print and email and digital and still do yep. today, but nothing in this one, which is just That's right. nuts. So Yeah. It's it's a it's a and and by the way, there's more coming, right? When Disney says their number one show is this show and it got this many downloads, says Disney. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, okay. May, you know, maybe is the answer. But, it's uh, not going to yeah, be the new Aladdin. Time. 
it's, no. it's not <laughs> right. It's, I'm well, just telling you. That. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, that's exactly right. Uh, All ahead. right, um, let's move on now to our last section of the show, which is of course our rants and raves. Which is when Joe and I go on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave if we haven't already been doing that today, um, and uh, it makes us feel, you know, like uh, we're. I was going to say the Dallas Cowboys uh, and the Cleveland Browns, or whether we're feeling, you know, more like uh, Australian rules football right now, or <laughs> you know who it is. It's the Japanese with the with soccer with football. They've they've done very well for themselves. Um, the rugby, whatever, guess, yeah, whatever, yeah. whatever terms uh, it makes you feel better. Anyway, that's good. What, yeah. Let me go first. Like, I'm going to go first. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go first because <laughs> uh, we're running off the rails here. Um, I have two very quick raves, um, and they are very related. They don't have anything to do with government. That's thankful for that. Um, I'm sure the audience is done with that. But two content marketing-oriented ideas. One of the things that I've been talking about and you've been talking about for a long time is this idea of acquisition. And it's happening. It continues to happen. And the one that I'll start with is TCG, which is an investment venture company, has purchased a majority stake in Food 52 for 83 million bucks. Um, and the, it's an article from the Wall Street Journal, which of course we'll put in the show notes. And basically it opens up by saying Food 52 um, that's selling, by the way, both media as well as home goods, you know, they've also productized their media business has sold most of their uh, business to TCG, this venture firm, for $83 million in a deal that gives TCG an entree into the world of dining and home accessories. The reason I wanted to say this is because, one, Food52 started as this wonderful media company and has now productized and has become, as you like to say, a multi-revenue media marketing model. And, of course, is a great example of that. The fascinating thing is, is that I actually had a conversation two, almost three years ago with a food company. And my major recommendation to them was go buy this little company called Food 52 because they're going to be huge and they would be the perfect publication for you. And at the time they were like, yeah, that's, that's a really interesting uh, idea. We should look at that. That's a really, that's really fascinating. And I mean, you know, the, the, the it's all just there. Um, the second one is even cooler i think just from a rant perspective or a rave perspective um this one that we'll link to is from ad uh, ad week i should say airbnb and we've talked about them we even mentioned them last week when we talked about the aaron orendorf sort of idea of content and media and their sort of foray into print magazines they have now invested and purchased atlas obscura which if you've never seen atlas obscura it's the coolest website um and publication yeah, the print, the print all version these. is unbelievable. Oh, it's so it's like the, amazing. It's I have the, I'm, I'm staring at my print book right now um, of Atlas Obscura, which is all these sort of obscure things all over the world that you can go see. Um, and it's just the perfect fit for Airbnb to make this a publication under their, uh, under their company. Um, even the logos look the same, which are funny enough. Um, but the interesting thing is, 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 as they say, Atlas Obscura wants to take you to the gates of hell, specifically a blazing inferno in the Karakum Desert, um, which is a three-hour drive from Turkmenistan's capital. And they basically bring you all these things. So they bought themselves basically a travel book. Um, which is, you know, it's their Michelin guide, right? It's, I, I just think it's the most brilliant move for them and it's a moneymaker 
and it's a content marketing platform for them. Kudos to uh, the Airbnb folks for having the vision to be able to do this. It's just really interesting. Um, and so those are my two raves, uh, both acquisitions in the content and media space. Fantastic. The uh, I saw the Airbnb one and I'm like, that's just more than brilliant. And if I work for another travel company, I would be, <laughs> be so upset. Like, why didn't we think of this? And oh, how- it's just brilliant because you don't immediately associate Atlas Obscura with travel. But then you get it. But then you immediately get it and go, of course, it's all these obscure things where Instagrammers and, you know, young people want to go to weird corners of the earth and take pictures and all that. And it's just like, yes, of course, this is perfect. It's perfect. More, it could, it could, it could have been an airline too. Could have been any another travel could company. Have been, but but Airbnb could have been makes, any travel company. But yeah. it's a perfect brand fit for Airbnb makes is what I mean. Sense. Mostly, yeah. So I have two quick raves. The first one is just the mention, uh, ba- basically what we were talking about: diversifying revenue streams. It's from Digiday. Um, it's from their rundown uh, member exclusive section. He says Barstool Sports has sold one million bottles of pink lemonade vodka. If you're not familiar with Barstool Sports, obviously huge sports media brand, uh, and they put out this pink lemonade flavor vodka called the Pink Pink Whitney, and it, they've sold so so much. Uh, uh, ship, they've been shipping a hundred thousand cases in less than two months of this stuff. And I, the, my only point is, once you build an audience, you can sell pretty much anything you want. And it's so on brand for them. And I, I just wish more companies would do this. And now you're finally seeing media companies, that more, similar to what we've seen with BuzzFeed, where they have their household appliances group, where I believe it's going to be $260 million in revenue in 2019, half a billion in 2020. I mean, this is real, real business, and it's happening right now, and there's no reason um, that any of us that have our auto audiences can think differently about how we generate revenue. So that's the one. And the second one, speaking of Airbnb, uh, went with some friends over the weekend to New Orleans oh, and stayed in, go. stayed in a beautiful Airbnb in the Maregni section of right outside the the French Quarter. It was absolutely beautiful, but so I'm not just going to tell you about my little vacation. I want to tell you about the most popular places in New Orleans that I saw. So there were three of the three of the most popular places that had the lines coming out the door were these three places. So one okay. one was right. Cafe Du Monde, which of course. of course beignets, right? Yep. Uh, the second one was uh, Central Market Grocer, Grocery, and that's where you can get your muffalata sandwich. And the third one was Pat O'Brien's, where they originally uh, created the hurricane. We went, of course, we went to all three, taste, <laughs> tasted and drank all <laughs> yeah, three. Yeah. But as I'm, I was... I'm going to take a stab at uh, which one you stayed at. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm. We were at Pat O'Brien's mm. quite a bit. Yeah. <laughs> but I'll tell you what. Uh, right. Dipping a beignet into into coffee is a religious oh, experience. It's, it's, yeah, absolutely. It uh, is. I, absolutely I it can't is. recommend it enough. And the muffaletta sandwich was just absolutely beautiful. Uh, beautiful. We, we enjoyed it. Everyone had one. But these companies have it figured out. They're probably making money hand over fist, and they're focusing on doing one thing really, really well, one thing better than any place else. And, of course, I thought about the many times you and I have been talking about 
creating content marketing initiatives and how everybody wants to be everywhere at once and be on all the social media and we've got to be creating videos and podcasts and all this stuff when the answer is right in front of us it's just do one thing really really well and by the way that could even be enough it could be enough just to do one thing really well you could just be barstool sports and have an amazing podcast and sell you know a million dollars worth of vodka I mean, these yeah. are the things that we always overcomplicate it. And I love it that these three locations didn't overcomplicate it. Now, did, did they sell other things? Cafe Dumont? No, didn't. <laughs> they sell beignets and, and coffee and hot chocolate. Uh, the central market, they sell like you know spices and things like that. But pretty much everyone in there was going in there for the sandwich. And Pat O'Brien's, they sell other drinks. But for the most part, you open up the menu and it's get the hurricane. By the way, right, exactly. which is $9, but you can return the glass and get $4 back. So it's really a $5 hurricane. Well worth it. Because oh, they know you're going to steal the glass, right? So they so they basically charge you for the glass, and then if you if you return the no, glass, no, 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 you, you you turn it you turn it in, and you can almost buy another hurricane. That's what you do with it. Just so you know. Oh well, there you yeah, go. So basically, you're, you're, the more hurricanes you drink, the more money you get back. That's what we learned. So we drank a lot of hurricanes, and it it worked really well. <laughs> well, as the as the. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. Well, it's five o'clock somewhere. That's what. That's. Oh that's my what, goodness. Oh, uh, by the way, yeah, we were there at uh, ten in the morning. So they open at ten. Give so, me yeah, something yeah. long and so, tall, make it a hurricane before, before I go, go insane. insane. Uh, so that's it. I just wanted to point that out, and uh, and I hope we all do that with our media as well. I so, like it. And that's I it. like it. I like it. So how about so you're back now? You're you're you're. How's the novel coming? What's going oh, on? Oh well, yes. Thank you for asking. Uh, the launch. It's actually in audio production right now. Kyle Tate. Uh, is a professional voice actor, and he's recording it as we speak. Uh, we it. should get the final files back sometime in November, and the official launch date of the book, it's coming out in audio, uh, will be on 12-4, The Will to Die, and nice. uh, we'll make My sure... anniversary. Yep, there you go. That's why, that's why I did it. That's right. exactly I'm why I did it. it. Yeah, <laughs> you called The Will to Die <laughs> on your <laughs> the, anniversary. There you go. I love it. <laughs> yeah, so... Uh, There's I'm, a joke right there that I am not going to tell. Uh, I'm just not even going to go there because I love my wife. There, absolutely, <laughs> you do. We're just going to move right on We're there. So, right so I'll, right now, all I'm doing, I'm really learning about uh, book marketing, and I'm excited to experiment with some of these things and then share them with everyone and, and we're really testing every platform we're testing all the social platforms we're testing sponsorships and direct ads and emails and and i'm, I'm hopeful to do an experiment on this whole thing and then let everyone know what uh, what worked and and what didn't so love it, it should be I fun. Love how it. about you sir i am home actually for a couple of weeks um through halloween um, and so I'm going to be getting some work done and some writing done and some presentations done and just normal client stuff. Then I'm off, uh, the first week of November to, so I'm preparing for this as well to South Korea, um, for my, uh, yearly sojourn there to do a content marketing workshop in the content marketing Asia forum, uh, wow. which is our, yeah, our partnership with those folks, wonderful folks at Stone Brand, um, and uh, doing doing a wonderful event there. So I'm looking forward to that. That's good. Tell them all I said hi. Very, very I good will. people. Absolutely. I will. I will. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are signing off. And if you like this episode, 
Number 219, 219, 220 we're at the next time we get together, Joe. Um, subscribe, won't you? Or resubscribe or get your friend to subscribe or get a subscription for your mom or your dog. Just get a whole bunch of subscriptions. Just, just stack them up. Stack them up like, you know, hotcakes, like hurricanes. <laughs> just get a whole bunch of subscriptions like going. Crackers. Just, to, crack. What other things can you stack? <laughs> just like, stack? Like Lincoln Logs and Digger Toys. <laughs> <laughs> oh, exactly. Our aim is to be the number one podcast, and the more fake subscribers we can get, the more quickly we'll get there. Um, we need you, folks. Thank you very much for all of your encouragement, your kind words, your wonderful social posts. The hashtag us up, won't you? Hashtag this old marketing. And we need those story ideas. We love those story ideas. Um, and uh, we're starting to get them coming back in again. And that's great. If you are new to the show, remember that we publish twice a month now, which is ostensibly every other week. Um, and uh, if, uh, if you're interested in learning more about either of us, well, you've got Joe. Joe, where can they find you these days? You've got your shiny new website. Yep. Shiny new website, JoePolizzi.com. That's P-U-L-I-Z-Z-I, Polizzi, not Paluzzi. Uh, and uh, you can get uh, my newsletter there. Actually, I've got a full download, a goal-setting audio download. It's about 22 minutes long. If you like it, just subscribe to the newsletter, and you get it for free. Fantastic. And if you're looking for me, if you're looking for content marketing, if you're looking for content strategy, if you're looking for anything like that, just head on over to contentadvisory.net, um, the dad genes of domains. Um, and uh, we've got all sorts of wonderful things there, content strategy-wise. Uh, and that is it, everybody. Remember, everybody, it is your story to tell. Tell it well. We'll see you in a couple of weeks on This Old Marketing.